Well, it's now my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, Herb Lynn. Herb Lynn is the Hank J. Holland Fellow in Cyber Policy and Security at the Hoover Institution and a Senior Research Scholar for Cyber Policy and Security at the Center for International Security and Cooperation, both at Stanford University. His research interests concern the policy-related dimensions of cybersecurity and cyberspace. He is particularly interested in and knowledgeable about the use of offensive operations in cyberspace, especially as instruments of national policy. In addition to his positions at Stanford University, he is a Chief Scientist Emeritus for the Computer Science and Telecommunications Board, the National Research Council, or NRC, of the National Academies, where he served from 1990 through 2014 as a study director of major projects on public policy and information technology. He's also an adjunct senior research scholar and senior fellow in cybersecurity at the Salzman Institute for War and Peace Studies, in the School for International and Public Affairs at Columbia University. Before his NRC service, he was a professional staff member and staff scientist for the House Armed Services Committee. This occurred between 1986 and 1990, where his portfolio included defense policy and arms control issues. The title of his talk today is Cybersecurity and Public Policy. Please join me in welcoming Herb Lynn. Thank you. Uh, I uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here, make some comments about uh, uh, cybersecurity and public policy. Uh, and so what I want to start with is the idea that uh, when the United States says it's concerned about uh, cybersecurity, why does it care about this? And cybersecurity 10 years ago was something for specialists, uh, 20 years ago something for specialists to be worrying about. These are the kinds of issues that uh, concern policymakers. So people worry that uh, we might take, there might be a cyber attack that'll take out the power, okay? And so we'll all be in the dark. Uh, that happens, you know, every now and then by itself. But what they're worried about is something that takes out, um, you know, power for uh, tens of millions of people for, uh, for months at a time. I mean, so that's, you know, that's a really bad outcome. Uh, and imagine how, how, imagine how a cybersecurity uh, uh, breach could uh, impact financial confidence and cause a run on the banks and, 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 and those kinds of things, panic in the markets and, 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 and the like. Uh, they also worry about low-level attacks. These are what I mean by low-level attacks are things that have a, small, have a very small actual impact but shake public confidence. So you can imagine if, if, if it were confirmed that, that in just one state, uh, lots of people were disenfranchised because uh, their votes were never counted. You can easily imagine that the same concern might affect all states, uh, even if only one state had been uh, hacked. Dealing with cybersecurity problems, we spend a lot of time and money to, uh, to protect ourselves against cybersecurity threats. And that means that all of that effort that we put into that is not going to something more productive. Okay? It's a tax, it's a waste, uh, it, it makes you more secure, yes, that's, that's good, but you don't want to use your computer to be secure. I mean, after all, if you want it to be perfectly secure, on the, you just wouldn't use the computer, right? So you want to use your computer to do something, and if you pay attention to cybersecurity, you, don't, you can't do as much of what you want it to, uh, to, to do. Here are some of the issues that uh, policymakers think about. Uh, they want to protect the critical infrastructure, uh, communications, financial sector, 
power and, and, and the like. They'll want to protect, or they would like to have be protected with some combination of your efforts and their efforts and, and, and so on. You know, the, infrastructure, the personal electronic infrastructure that you have in your car, most of you, I imagine, came here in cars, and those cars have probably, you know, every car probably has 100 computers in it. You know, they're itty-bitty things that control your brakes and your engine and, and, and your steering and so on. Um, it is known that on some cars, you can hack them. Uh, you can hack them remotely. Uh, you can hack them, you know, from many miles away. Not all cars, but some cars, and increasingly so in the future. Um, and all of you get medical care, okay? I get medical care, too. I get all of my data is stored in some computer somewhere. I really would like to make sure that that data stays private. Yes, that's an important thing. But I tell you, I care much more if somebody looks at my blood type than if somebody changes my blood type, right? Ah, that's really important, right? I don't want them to do that, okay? You know, so uh, that's a threat that people worry about. Uh, and then there's protection against cybercrime about, you know, stuff being stolen out of your bank accounts and, and, and the like, or your companies and, and so on. People worry about cyber spying and cyber war too. This is how nations are increasingly confronting each other. They are doing things that don't rise to the level of bombs and bullets, but do rise to the level of, you know, possibly of, of uh, some sort of kind of conflict that you would not have thought of before. Countries that hack each other in cyberspace. That's an interesting kind of war. And is that really war? Well, we could get into an interesting conversation about that. All you have to do is open a newspaper, right, and, and, and just wait. There's almost, there's a cybersecurity, major cybersecurity story in, in, in the news once a day, at least. Um, there was the hack on the Office of Personnel Management. If you've ever had a security clearance, I have. I got this very, you know, informative note saying your information was compromised. Okay, maybe some of you did too. Okay, um, you may remember that about a year ago, uh, Amazon and, and Twitter and, and so on went down because of, of another attack on the internet. Uh, there, was an elect there have been attacks on the electric grid in the Ukraine that have taken down power. Uh, there have been target breaches of, of, of data breaches on Target, data, uh, sorry, tar Target, Anthem, Equifax. Okay. The Equifax uh, hack was particularly significant. 143 million Americans have all of their credit files, all of the personal information in there. And, and, you know, Equifax says, you guys, us, who have no, we're not customers of Equifax. We don't have any rights at all. The customers of Equifax, they're the, you know, they're, they're the banks and so on that issue credit cards and mortgages. So, you know, that's a sort of strange situation. Um, and then there's the question about the, the cyber, Russian cyber disruption of, of, of the U.S. Uh, election. I'm not taking a position on whether or not there was, quote, collusion or not. I'm silent on that point. But I think pretty much everybody has, has, has come to the point where they believe that the Russians have, you know, did, did seek to intervene in the U.S. election. Not just the U.S. election. Democracies around the world. So where is all this happening? This is cyberspace. There's computers. There's your smartphones that some of you have in your pockets. There's networks, this thing called the internet, the power generation station, 
that happens to be on the internet? Interesting question. Why is there a power generation station on the internet? Okay. When it can be hacked? Well, the answer is that the people who want to operate it and control it and increase the power when there's more need for air conditioning and so on, they, it's, it's most convenient to do that, do that over the internet. So that means a bad guy can come in and fiddle with that too. Your refrigerator is on the internet now. Okay. I kid you not, there's a, you know, many refrigerators have internet connections. Okay. Um, and there's also all the information floating around. All of that is cyberspace. Now, cybersecurity is basically about preventing bad things from happening here when those bad things are the result of, uh, of bad actors, of what they do. Okay. So some, here's some policy issues. Okay. Whose cyberspace is it? Is it yours? Is it mine? Is it the government's? Is it the nation's? Is it, the pri is it private enterprise? Well, the answer is all of the above. What counts as negative impact? You sort of know what your computer is supposed, you want your computer to, doing, to be doing. And, and if it doesn't do what you want it to do, that's, you know, that, that, that's sort of a, a bad thing. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes my daughter has gotten onto my computer and done things I don't want her to do. Okay, that's, I, that now is, 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 you know, is what she did to compromise my security now, is that bad? Yeah, it's bad for me, but you know, she doesn't care. She's starting to. Um, how do you recognize a bad guy, right? My, my, my daughter doesn't wear a hoodie, right? I, don't, I can't recognize her as a hacker. She doesn't wear a hoodie, so I don't know that she's a hacker, right? Um, how do you recognize a bad guy? Okay. It's a good thing when, we're, when the US is going into other nations to, uh, to get intelligence uh, on, they, on what they're doing and whether they're planning an attack or something. That's a good thing. You think that government thinks that we're the good guys? No. So they, they are, you know, and who decides? Who decides who's good and bad? So all of these are policy issues. They're obviously not technical issues. Okay? And there are lots of non-technical issues in, in cybersecurity. It's not just a better of a better widget, right? I could give you a great security widget. Absolutely, you use it, it'll be perfectly protected. But if you never use it, it won't ever protect you. And why would you not use it? Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe it's too complicated to use. How many of you have passwords that you actually can remember? <laughs> okay, right? I mean, you know, there's a reason that one, two, three, four, five is the, one of the most common passwords on the net. Okay, it's easy to remember. What, so, what is, so, so what do people tell you to do about passwords? You select a password that's hard to remember and don't write it down. That's a good solution, right? It's great for security. It's terrible for you. Okay. Psychology, what makes this, what, what is, what makes, what makes cybersecurity usable? Okay, this is a big deal. Okay. How does a culture, how do you develop a culture of an organization? Okay. Um, in many laboratories, or, or, you know, quote, secure R&D facilities and, you know, computer labs and, and, and so on. They have great technical protection. But you can go up to the office and there's the door to the office, guards, lock on it, and so on. But down the hall is an open telecommunications closet. Okay. And you ask the guys inside, where do you get your telecommunications? Oh, you know, so they get it from Verizon. Did you know there's a Verizon closet down the hall? Yeah. Did you know it's unlocked? 
Uh, no. Well, guess what? <laughs> okay. Um, I've had that experience of being the person to inform them that their telecommunications closet was open. Um, they weren't happy. Why is this business hard? On the left side is a perfectly secure computer. Computer, a sealed metal box around it, perfectly secure. Useless, but perfectly secure. Why is it useless? Because you can't get any information in or out. Right? But it's secure, it won't be hacked. In order to make it useful, I have to take away the box. Right? I have to be able to put information in and get information out. And now it's potentially insecure. Because I only want to put good information in. Well, who defines what good information is? Right? I have to tell the machine what's good information. And the machine has to decide. The machine can't decide that perfectly. And even I can't decide that perfectly. How many of you have ever mistakenly deleted a file? Right? I mean, right? Okay. I said, you know, it said, did you really want to delete this? And I said, yes. Oh, damn. Right? So I put it in. I put in the, the you know, it confirmed what I wanted to do. But not really. <laughs> Okay. Internet basics. This is all you need to know about the internet. Okay. Right? And the internet is a network, and there are these nodes on it. Nodes are sort of the, the, the endpoints on it are you, and your car, your refrigerator, and so on. And there's a network in between, and there are a lot of intermediate, there's a lot of intermediate stuff inside. And to go from point A to point B, anywhere there, you have to go along some set of connections. Okay. And so if one connection in the middle is blocked, you go around it. And that's sort of how the internet works. Okay. Here are some bad things that can happen. Okay. What bad things can happen? You can compromise the integrity of data. That means you change it or delete it. You can make it unavailable. So that means I can make it so that your computer works, but so slowly that you can't stand it anymore. Okay. Or I can take confidential medical information from your, from your computer, or financial information, or your password, or your secret love letters to your wife when she was 18. Okay. Those, are those are the ways in which you compromise uh, 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 what a computer is supposed to be doing. Okay. In practice, what does it mean? It means that you can take away important information, business plans, financial records, um, blueprints, classified information, and so on. You can steal credit card numbers, which is effectively money. You can steal bitcoins these days, too. Um, you can improperly uh, compromise the operation of a computer. So you can say to the computer controlling your car, speed up when you said slow down. Okay. Uh, you can damage your confidence in computers so that you don't trust your computer anymore, even though mostly it gives you the right answer, right? Lots of bad things can happen. These are examples of undesirable cybersecurity. Teenager defacing a website, um, nation stealing plans for a, a, a fighter, uh, stealing intellectual property, um, uh, trying to cause damage to a steel mill, uh, a variety of things. All of these things are bad. Not all of them are, are, are acts of war. Okay. The question, an interesting question is, when should you start hitting back? But, you know, if there's a nation that causes an airliner to crash, 
That's probably an act of war. But how about if you just interfere with airline operations? I don't know, that happens all the time to me, right? You know, all of you get, when was the last time you were delayed because of an airline IT outage, right? Well, system crashed. Probably not that result of a nation state. How would you know? So if a nation state did cause that, is that an act of war? That's not an act of war, but it's interference. Who are the bad guys? Wide range of bad guys, ranging from uh, individual hackers out for fame and glory to major nation states. And the most important part is that last point here at the bottom, which is that uh, there are many hacking services available for hire. So you, now you, you, in order to hack, you no longer need to be an expert. All you need is a, is a stolen credit card. Right? And you can buy the hacking services. So you don't have to have any expertise at all. The other point here is that adversaries adapt. You do something, and then the other guy does something in response. So consider the history of safe cracking. Used to be that you put money in wooden boxes. Then the bad guys came along with an ax. Then you put it in a metal safe, and then they put in wedges to drive open the doors. Then you had a step door so that you couldn't get the wedge all the way in, so then they poured in liquid nitroglycerin. Then you had a very tightly machined door so that you couldn't get any liquid in, uh, in, in, in the cracks. Um, and then you started to kidnap the back, bank managers and threaten them. Okay? And then you put a time lock on the safe so that even the bank manager couldn't get in. Okay? And then you, know, you can see where this goes, right? And now, you know, sort of the answer now, they move to the internet. To, to steal money. So there, it's always an action-reaction game. You never get the last move. It's a constant game of you go and then they do, and you go and then they do. Okay. And why technology doesn't help much? Two lessons that I, you know, a couple of things that I want to drive home here. We demand a lot of our information technology. We want it to do more and more stuff. That means the systems that we develop get more and more complicated. They're more and more complex. And you don't really understand, nobody really understands the computer. How many of you have called up IT support and said, something's going on with the computer? And what the IT guy, who's an expert on the other end, says, well, why don't you try this? And if that doesn't work, we'll try that. If that doesn't work, we'll try the other thing. That's not an expression of knowledge. That's an expression of hope. <laughs> right? Right? He hopes that the first thing he tries will work because it works 60% of the time. And then the next thing, well, probably works 50% of the time or something like that, right? He doesn't know what's going on either. And that experience is replicated over and over and over again. Every experienced computer system designer will tell you, will recognize the truth in what I said. Okay. And that's just the reality of life. And when a system is that complex, you can't understand everything that's going on. And what the bad guy's job is to do is to find those little cracks, the places where nobody quite understands what's going on, and take advantage of them. That's what the bad guy does. And of course, if you have a big, complicated system, there are more and more of those places to, 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 uh, to find. Okay. You have all had 
this experience. There's a web page, and you type in a URL, and then you know you get the you you, you get the uh, a page in you know in, in in a half a second. Maybe it's not the New York Times for you, but you know it doesn't matter, right? You just you know Amazon or whatever, and you, you know you type in the and then you get the uh, uh, the page. From your perspective, mostly this you know mostly the right thing happens. This is what's going on behind the scenes. There's three or four separate processes going on behind the scenes where each one of those processes is a complicated multi-step process in and of itself. And every one of those places is some place for something to go wrong. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go through this slide. That's ridiculous. Okay? But the point is, that look how complicated the slide is. This is what's hidden from you. You don't see it when you're at your computer, when you're manipulating your smartphone. You don't see this all going on. Okay. Every one of those circles, those, those, those ovals, is a place where a bad guy can get in and screw it up. And the point is that it all mostly works. Okay. It's amazing with something that's this complex that works at all. Let alone, mostly it works 99.999% of the time. How do you improve security? First thing you can do to improve security is to don't, not to use it as much, right? Don't use it as much. It's not accidental that the formula for Coke is not, in, is not on the net, okay? If there's something you really care about, put it in a box and don't store it online. Now, there are, of course, physical problems with security, too. Don't get me wrong. But using information technology less is one way to do it. And don't use information technology when you don't need to do it. A lot of people, I mean, I, I can now buy, so help me, I can buy an internet-enabled toothbrush. <laughs> True story, right? That's sort of a strange thing to do. Why would I want that? Anyway, um, you don't need... IT functionality, information technology, um, all the time. You just don't need it. Sometimes it's just a marketing gig. Okay. You want to be able to know that you have a problem. Better to detect a problem while it's happening than to not know. Even if you can't do anything about it, it's better to know than to not know. Okay. But of course, how do you recognize that something bad is happening? You have to be able to say, this is bad. How do you know that? Well, you have to be able to articulate what that is in specific terms for the computer. You can defend yourself. Keep the bad guy out. You write software that has fewer vulnerabilities. You change your configurations so that they're secure rather than open, or you have, you know, you, you change the default passwords and, and, and things like that. By the way, you can go on to the internet and find, you just look up the term default passwords for routers. And then you get a list of routers with their default passwords on them. So you can find a, one of these routers online with, uh, you know, just with your Wi-Fi and so on. You just look at it and, you know, sometimes you can get into the router that's just sitting because the person hasn't changed the default password. Okay. You can try to prevent social engineering. Issue rules to your users to not do certain things. How many of you have gotten the, 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 the advice, you know, don't accept an attachment from anybody you don't know, right? What good is that? 
right? Mostly, you, I mean, they're telling you, you know, don't, talk, don't engage with people that you don't know or that you don't trust and, you, and that you have any questions about. You know, if I did all of that, I would throw away the computer and make phone calls all the time, right? So, but but, but that's, the be that's the best we can do. Um, pay higher salaries to people. Don't exploit the people that, that, that are working for you, right? Because they're the ones that are gonna, going to do something that, to get back at you because they're mad at the way you've treated them. Okay? The abused employee is one that's very, very dangerous. Okay? Recovery and resilience. Almost all of you have computers. Do you have, when was the last time you backed up your files? And, and for those of you who, who, whose answer is, um, you know, six months ago, first thing you do is you go home today, go back up your computer, <laughs> okay? Um, it will make a difference to you someday. Back up regularly. Assume that your, your problems are going to, that somebody's going to get you and try to be, recover from it. You can also set yourself up so that a problem in one place, one computer doesn't affect a problem in another place. You can, there, there are ways of, of doing that. Um, make sure you have a, make sure you have a spare computer at home. This might be a good idea for you. Okay. The old computer that you used, you know, last year, rather than throwing away, keep it around because maybe you'll need to revive it when your current computer goes down. And then, the, the, then somebody says, "Well, you have to go onto the internet to, to get the, the fix for it. How are you going to get on the net?" You have to have the backup be able to, uh, available. You can also hack the other guy. Okay? You can hack the bad guy. When he's done something bad, you can retaliate against him. While he's doing something bad, you can maybe do something to disrupt. Or maybe when you see him starting to attack, getting ready to attack, you can attack him in advance. Okay? Now, of course, I tell you, the, the, the last thing is pretty controversial, right? How do you know that he's really going to attack you? That's, that, that's a very complicated problem. But in principle, there are these ways to do it. Okay. And you can do it, you can, you, know, you can find out that he's uh, about to attack you if you can, and then when he launches the attack, you can go after him. Okay. Or after it's all done, you can make him pay a penalty. And the last thing you, you could do is, is that you just you, you find out who the bad guys are and you use cyberspace operations on the offense to smack them around a bit. Okay. Um, you can get intelligence on them. You can find out what their uh, weak spots are, and uh, you can sabotage. You can all sorts of things to do that. And this is what nations do to each other all the time. Okay. You pointed out earlier that cybersecurity is more than just technology. There's economics. There's psychology, there's organization, all sorts of issues here that are not just better widgets. That's the main thing that I want you to take away from here. Somebody says, I'm going to solve the cybersecurity problem with a better widget. Don't believe them. This is how the, the there's a gap in cybersecurity. Okay? The bottom line is cybersecurity capabilities over time. We have gotten better. What Tom didn't tell you is that in my earlier years, many years ago, before I was illegal, I was a hacker. Okay. I don't like to share that. Yes, well, <laughs> but it was legal. It was, it was entirely legal then. Um, but you know, we've gotten much better in cybersecurity since then. 
But the problem is that the threat has gotten much better too and much better faster. So the gap has increased, even though we're, getting, we're always getting better. Okay. And there are, are sorry, uh, there are really, back, there are really two parts to the gap. The first is what I call the part one gap. The part one gap is, think about the best installation that has the best cybersecurity around. Not everybody does that, does what they do. So that means you can bring the average up to the level of the best. That means the, the, the guy who has the best cybersecurity around, that's a proof that we can do better than we are now. Even that's not enough, so there's another gap, but the part two gap, which is how do you improve the, the, the best of the best? That's a harder problem. But those are, that, that difference, you know, if you take both of those, that's the gap that we need to fill. Conclusion one, cybersecurity is a never-ending battle. No decisive solutions. Action, reaction. Threat, counter-threat. If that's the case, why bother at all? Why bother? Because the, the guys who are the low, at the low level are still around. They haven't gone away. And you want to be able to deal with them. The other thing is you want to make yourself less vulnerable than the next guy so that the bad guy hacks him and not you. Okay? That, I mean, that, right, that, this is what you do when you, you put up a fence, you know, you're, uh, you know, put an alarm on your place and so on. The other guy doesn't have an alarm in his place. Okay? Now, I agree that's not a particularly pro-social um, way, but that's the way lots of security works because the bad guys go, over the weak, go after the weak spots. Okay? You can slow down the, the sophisticated bad guy. He has less time to get everything. Uh, and then you help the law enforcement guys to, 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 to get their work. Number two, the trade-offs, to manage cybersecurity, the trade-offs are unavoidable. So for example, you want convenience and you want security. Well, guess what? You can't have both at the same time. At what point do I make it inconvenient for, too inconvenient that you say to hell with it? Then you won't use it at all. So finding that sweet spot is very, is very difficult. Innovation. If, I'm, if I want to innovate a product for you, a new product, every bit of attention I give to security takes away from how fast I can bring that new product out to market. Because people aren't buying it for the security, they're buying it for the new innovation. And so how do you get around that? That's a fundamental dilemma. Nobody knows how to solve that problem. Okay. Um, when you have many competing priorities, that's the recipe for a reactive policy making. And, and, and you know, there's, there, there's a rule in Washington, D.C. that support, you know, support for, prevent, for preventing disaster is much less than support for responding to disaster. Right. Right. It often takes a crisis, the existence of a crisis, to actually do something. Until then, nah, it's just a theory. Nobody, you know, we'll just hope. Okay. And knowing how to respond is hard. What's the right response to some bad guy doing something? Do you threaten them with nuclear weapons? Well, maybe, and under some circumstances. Do you threaten to break off diplomatic relations? Do that too. There's a big argument about what you can do in response. The, 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 the fundamental question um, is whatever you do, the other guy is going to respond. And are you willing to take it? He, whatever the other guy's counter response is. 
Because if you're not, don't go down that path. Okay. A word on just, and finally, just a, a word about Russia and information warfare and, 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 and the US elections, which is often discussed under the cybersecurity uh, rubric. The interest is, of course, stimulated by the uh, reports about uh, Russian interference in democratic elections around the world. Uh, in the United States, from my perspective, the, the, the main consequence was not that the Russian intervention affected the outcome of the election. It's hard to prove that in any case. Lots of reasons why uh, the, the election turned out as it did. Okay. Um, and to say it was because of the Russians, I mean, that, uh, that's a very hard claim to make, and I don't want to say that. But I think that what anybody would, would, would realize if they thought about it is, is, is that the country was and continues to be, and is even more so, polarized. Okay? And the Russian goal of intervention was not necessarily to tip the election one way or the other, but rather to create and amplify polarization turn left against right, right against left, blue against red, red against blue, even more so to amplify those divisions. Tom in his introductory comments pointed out the value, the importance of people of differing political persuasions talking civilly to each other. And the Russians know how to sow dissension. That's why they support ads that are pro-black lives matter and pro-white lives matter. Same guy. Let's, you guys, why don't you guys go fight? Okay. That's, that's to me the real uh, 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 problem here. The Russian view is not necessarily to say we're better than you. They, just want, they don't want to create, they're, they're, they're not trying to create an alternative. They're just trying to say that everything is bad. Okay. Don't believe anything. It's easier to, to destroy than, 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 than to create. Um, Cyber-enabled information warfare is not is hostile, but it's not warfare in any sense that we recognize the term. Right? It's not warfare in the sense of anybody shooting, but it is really, really, really per per pernicious. It, it, it takes advantage of the idea of the supreme art of war is to win, is to subdue the enemy without fighting, and the, the, what it targets is truth, and knowledge, and confidence rather than a physical artifact. The information, information warfare is old as, the, you know, is old as history, but cyber-enabled is not. Cyber-enabled part takes advantage of the internet to do all kinds of things, to, to have lots of cheap distribution of information, very fast, anonymous, um, to many, many, many people. Okay. And it gives you, uh, a, a, it raises the level of noise and chaos in ways that uh, the other guy can, can take advantage of, and in particular, it enables you to, to only talk to people who agree with you. And that's really dangerous in a, in, in a free society. That's why the kind of dialogue that Tom was talking about was so critical. We want to be able to engage with people who don't agree with us in a civil way. The summary of, it, of all of this, cybersecurity, cyberspace, and political autonomy are all important to us as a, as a nation. Cybersecurity is going to go on forever. Policy in cybersecurity is stalled because of conflicting interests, different policy imperatives, and so on. We want other things, and, and cybersecurity too, and sometimes they conflict. And we have no policy at all about Russian information warfare. We have no idea what to do about it. Uh, 
at least not without damaging the First Amendment, which I don't know about you, but I really care about that, right? All of us care about that. We're all Americans. Uh, we all want to preserve freedoms that we've all grown up with. The idea that, you know, it's important to, you know, I may disagree with you, but I really defend your right to say it. Okay. It's an interesting argument, okay, in today's environment. How do I feel about the Russians coming in and saying things that I see are disrupting society? I have to tell you, personally, as, as, a, as a citizen and as a scholar, I'm conflicted about that. Okay, and we need a national discussion of, of, about that. So that's it for, 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 for now. I think I got my important in my time. And, and I'm happy to entertain discussion and uh, argument and, and, and questions here. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, iTunes U, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.